We live in a world that desperately needs hope. We desperately need hope. Martin Luther King said this, We must accept finite disappointment, but we must never lose infinite hope. The problem with living in such hard times when we think and see the images on TV and we listen to news reports, we're in hospital rooms dealing with uh, situations that are hard, that are close, that are personal. The, the human heart needs and craves hope, and, but these things tend to or, or threaten to numb our hearts. A human heart needs hope. Otherwise, it starts to retreat. It starts to pull away. It stops caring. So hope is something that we all desperately need, even though we're living in a hard land. It's getting increasingly difficult to follow Jesus Christ in this country. Certainly not to the extent it is in other countries. And I wish Tuji was here and the other girls were here to kind of maybe speak to that. It's difficult to follow Christ in their country. People will lose hope because of hard things. We have the situation in Oregon. Just in June, we had a horrible incident in a church in South Carolina. Awful hard things that threaten to drown us in despair. If you would, just turn to Jeremiah 29. Where that's where we're going, to t- we're going to talk about today. We're going to explore today. And I, want, I need to pray first. Father, oh, we need you this morning. We proclaim once again our great need of you. We desperately need you. I ask that, Father, that you will come to us now and be in the midst of us and and minister to us to help us understand, to help us have faith, to help us not lose hope in the midst of hard and difficult things. Father, that we would find in your word reasons to hope, that we would find in your presence reason to hope. And that our expression of that hope would be in worship. We want to worship you now by, by diving into your word, consuming it, letting it nourish our, our hearts that needs hope this morning. So empty me of me and speak through me your words of life. Because it's the only words we need. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I think in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, Israel is facing some hard times. In the middle, almost in the middle of this chapter is a, is a verse that we all know and love. And it's verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. 
I think we could probably all say that we love this verse. You can you almost can't find a graduation card that does not have this verse on it, right? We've seen it. We've probably gotten some. Pastors have preached about this. I've heard many sermons about this. This verse alone. When I was growing up, this verse was a was a verse that I hung onto desperately because growing up in an abusive home. I needed to know that there was hope. I needed to to try to figure out if there was actually plans for me. So I I hung on to this verse. And I believed in its promise. Never understanding as a seven-year-old the context of this chapter. The context of this chapter is exile. The context of this chapter is captivity. Being uprooted from someone's home and deposited in a foreign land. Not by choice. Forced. Taken. You have to understand that most of the time what happens when you were taken captive, you were stripped of everything. Not just your possession, your clothing, everything. And you were taken to a foreign land completely naked. You were stripped of your dignity. You were stripped of your homeland, your family. Everything was taken away from you. And you were now deposited in this land. And actually some of your possessions, some of the things that you own, some of your children were now owned by this foreign land. Wow, where's prospering in that now? Yet, I think that there's a kindness of God here. The nation of Israel, the covenant people of God, connected to Him by this supernatural, wonderful love covenant, disobeyed God, started to worship other gods, small g. Rejected his laws, rejected his ways, rejected his heart, and turned their backs against them. And because of that, God sent them into exile. Sent them into exile, into Babylon, for 70 years. And yet, I think God is immensely kind in this exile. Immensely kind. Go to verse 4. See, this is a letter from Jeremiah to the exiles. In chapter 28, there is a false prophet who is, is telling Israel, don't worry about this. You only got a couple of years here at best. Peace is going to come, and you'll go back to Jerusalem. Basically, this is a false message that's not from God. Hananiah, the prophet, pays for it later. It's kind of this don't worry, be happy type of message here. Everything's going to work out. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about the sins that you committed that got you here in the first place. Don't worry about the choices that you made that got you here in the first place. That's okay. God's going to redeem you. You're going to be back in Jerusalem. and It's going to take no time at all. 
Israel starts to buy into this. To this lie and to this deception. So Jeremiah writes this letter to tell them the truth. But the kindness of God is so wonderful here. God tells them how to thrive in the midst of captivity. In the midst of a hard land. God is giving them instruction of how to do this. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles who I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses. Live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they might bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. God is saying, man, build a house to live in. Build a house to live in. Purposely build something to live in. Plant some crops. Get married. Raise sons and daughters. Raise a family here. When they're grown up, let them start families. You're going to be here a long time. Seventy years. The life expectancy of these people weren't even seventy. He is telling them, live a life. Live a full life in the midst of captivity. And don't you dare decrease. So here's the choice. Remember we talked about hope. When we start to lose hope, we start to retreat. We start to walk away. It's protection. I know. I understand why the human heart does it. We don't want to feel anymore. We don't want to face the pain anymore. We don't want to deal with the heart and the the suffering of other people and with ourselves. I understand it. I know my heart has done that. God is saying, don't do that. Don't decrease. Don't retreat from where I placed you. Because there's purpose There's a reason why I sent you to exile. And it has to do with your heart walking away from me, retreating away from me. And I need to draw you back. I need to to do this. This is a process that's going to get you back in right relationship with me. But there's a purpose, a secondary purpose while you're here. You need to influence this society that you're in. You need to impact Babylon. Don't you dare decrease. Don't you dare retreat from what I'm doing. And this is why I know. Verse 7 says, But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. The word welfare there in the Hebrew is the word shalom, the word for peace. The English language doesn't begin to touch the whole concept of shalom. The Hebrew mindset, shalom is both a greeting and a blessing when someone's leaving your presence. 
it's such a relational, powerful expression. But listen to what this word shalom means. First, let's look at the word seek. That word means pursuit, to follow, to go after, but in an attitude of worship. But in an attitude of worship. We're seeking something because of someone. Because of we're worshiping Him. And, and it's a part of obedience. But the word shalom means this. Completeness. Wholeness. Health. Peace. Welfare. Safety. Soundness. Tranquility. Prosperity. Perfectness. Fullness. Rest. Harmony. And the absence of agitation or discord. It's talking about unity. It means every part of your life is complete. And this is what he has asked his covenant people to pray for in the midst of captivity. Praying for all those words to come true in their captors' lives. Think about that just for a moment. You have been dragged away from your homeland. You have been placed in a situation you do not want any part of. Maybe your family has been uprooted and you do not know where the other family members are. You have no possessions. None. There's no security. You don't know what's going to happen next. And God's answer is for you to build a house. Raise a family. Plant some, plant some crops so that you can eat. But while you're doing this, pray for shalom of your city. Pray for shalom of your city. Because if you pray for the shalom of your city, that shalom is going to be on you. You will be able to take part of that shalomness. So all those things that you're praying for your captors, praying for the people that oppress you, praying for the people that took you away from everything that you knew and loved, pray for them. Influence them. Because if they understand shalomness, guess what? They're going to understand the heart of the who? God. See, there is a purpose here. There is an evangelistic purpose here that, that, that I don't think I saw as a seven-year-old or an eight-year-old. A couple of years ago, I stood before the Chamber of Commerce and they asked me to do the opening prayer. And I read that scripture over them. And I proclaimed it over them. And I prayed it over the civic leaders and the business leaders and the religious leaders that were in that room. And I believe that some of the things that are happening in this community today is because of that prayer and that proclamation. Not because I did it, because this is God's word. Mike and Patty, Tim and Ginny have been praying for this community for years. The well has been praying for this community for years. And we are beginning to see some wonderful, awesome things as we've been praying for the shalomness of God to come through everyone's lives here and bring them into wholeness. See, when we, when we start to seek God more than we seek escape, 
things change. That's why we can't decrease. That's why we can't retreat. That's why we can't lose heart. That's why we have to be agents of hope. See, God was sending these people into exile. Yeah, they sinned. This was their punishment. But God was kind and compassionate and helped them thrive because He wanted them to be a witness of God's restorating power. This is an awesome awesome passage for us today. I've read a lot of things. People say you can't take that verse. You can't take verse 11 out of context and apply it to yourself. That word was for a specific time in history and for a specific people, and I agree. But we can learn something from this. Would you agree that verse 11 is a promise of God? Luke 22.20 says this. And likewise, talking about uh, starting at the Lord's table, the cup after they had eaten, he said, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. We walk because God has purchased us, paid for us, redeemed us. We walk in a new covenant. We are covenant people with God. We've been grafted in. And because we have been grafted in and we are part of this new covenant, all the promises of God are ours. All of them. All the promises of God. And if you doubt that, if you have a little trouble accepting that this morning, turn to 2 Corinthians one twenty. For all the promises of God, all the promises of God, find their yes in Him, in Jesus. And that is why through Him we utter our amen to God for His glory. When we're His, when we have bent his, our knees to Him, when we have accepted Christ as Messiah, Jesus says yes to all God's promises for us. All God's. This book is one big promise of how to live in a hard land and how to redeem the times. Romans 8.32 says this, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? That phrase, graciously, graciously give, means to give with pardon, with mercy, and kindness. All things. All these verses, all things. Not just some things, not just... Most things, all things, all things, all promises because we have access to all of Him. Of course God knows the plans that He has for us. Of course He does. Of course those plans are meant for us to prosper. Of course they are. I need a future and a hope this morning. And I'm glad God has one. And I realize, you know what? Someday we have the greatest future and we have the greatest hope waiting for us on the other side. For all eternity. With none of this stuff exists anymore. No longer in exile. 
No longer in captivity. Free. I long for that day. It's a great day coming. And I, and I know that's ultimately the great plan of God to bring us there. But He's told us how to live in captivity here, in exile here, and not decrease, but to increase. Yeah, yeah. A couple of years ago, you know, Mike and I were sitting around and thinking about the vision for, for, for this church, and we, we, we drew an imaginary line, a circle around this town, a mile in diameter. And we thought there might be 5,000 people that live within that circle. And I talked about this, about 50 reaching 5,000. Because when everyone's here, we run around 50. And there's no, I don't know, I don't think there's 30 people here today, but that's okay. And the whole thought process was, how can 50 people touch the lives of 5,000? The math just doesn't seem to work. There were a lot of people taken from Israel and deposited in Babylon. But they were a minority to that populace. And what did God tell them to do? He told them to increase. In numbers, in influence, in impact. God is asking us the same thing. There's hard times. They threatened to choke hope out of us every day. It could get really depressing to watch the news, to read the news, to hear the news. I imagine these covenant people of God being ripped of their homes in the first day in Babylon. They've got a hope? What's that? What's that? And they listen to a false prophet for a while because it tickles the ears and because it sounds good because that's what we want. We want rescue. We want deliverance. We want to be taken out of our hard situations. And God says, you know what? I placed you there. Will you not trust me? Will you not build homes? Will you not plant gardens? Will you not raise families? Will you not be a light into this place that I put you? Oh, if you, if you decrease, you are hurting yourself. You are taking life out of your family. You are taking life out of this community. We have been given an immense mission. Just the day that we said yes to Jesus, the mission was on. To go into all the world, preach the gospel, and make disciples of all men. To be like Jesus, to go around and do good. I know your hearts. I know you give. I know you invest. I know that you purposely live for Christ. It's all over you. I know, I know your lives, most of your lives. I know your story. And, and, I, and I'm not suggesting that we're not doing this. I'm just saying that there is, there is a threat against us that would make us decrease, that would want us to, to retreat. 
to back up, to guard our hearts in the worst way possible, to stop feeling, to stop caring, to stop showing compassion. And I'm saying that this morning, God is calling us and making us aware, you know what, yes, I know the plans that I have for you. They are for a future. They are to give you a hope. But here's the, here's the conditions. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me. And I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And there's the condition. It's always the condition. We want to keep our hearts from losing hope. Well, we have to seek Him with all of it. Not leaving a bit of it available for, for, for lies and deceptions and things that want to steal our hope. All of our, every part, everything that is this thing that we call heart, completely seeking Him, pursuing Him, following Him, hungering after Him, His Word, His ways, so that we do not pretend to worship anything else in our lives. When it says to worship God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and everything that's in us, that means everything. We would, you should have no other gods before me. That means there's nothing even on the list. Not that God is number one and there's all kinds of things below it. No, there's only one. One. We don't want to be like Israel that lost sight of that and got put into exile for punishment. We have to realize that we've been in exile for a purpose. This community and all the communities that we live in and touch in, you know, work communities, school communities, all those communities, they need to know that Jesus Christ brings hope, brings redemption. And that's what we've been sent to do, to build homes, families, plant gardens, share the produce from those gardens. And so we have an opportunity, we have an opportunity in this Thanksgiving dinner to serve to mingle with people. If you have not heard the whole story, the whole story of this is Pastor Greg of the Methodist Church had this vision of having a group of churches and community members work together to put on a Thanksgiving meal. Yes, for for, for the unfortunate, for the people who can't afford it, for people who have no families, but also to mix it with people who can afford it, who can pay for a ticket, who can have the means to have their own, but to mix these two communities together and hopefully they come more together and more of a community is made. And then to have the vision of having churches and civic organizations work together for the community. That sounds like shalom to me. That sounds like wholeness to me. That sounds like completeness to me. And so our small part of the obviously is to do what we've been asked to do. And that's great. We have the coat drive coming up. Last year, when we participated in the coat drive, it was some of the most marvelous moments, I think, in, in our lives. Sheila Kimball is not here today, but she, at the end of the day, this halfway, this group of young men came from the halfway house 
to pick out whatever left was of, of, the, of the coats. And, and here are these tall, some rough-looking guys, and they're surrounding Sheila because she's telling them about Jesus, that, that he is the solution for their addiction issues. It's a coat drive. And they have coats. I, I, there was this little boy about this height. And he really wanted this one little coat. And it fit him perfectly, except the zippers didn't work. And it had two zippers. And I was doing my best working this zipper to get this thing to work. And I, and, you know, and the little boy's just standing there, and he had these huge eyes, and he's just like looking at me, you know. It's like... And his mom came over back later. She goes, are you still working on that thing? I go, yeah, I'm, I really wanted him to have this coat, but... Obviously, if it doesn't zip up, it's no good. And he goes, she goes, well, maybe there's a third zipper. I go, my coat has three zippers. So I looked all over the coat, and sure enough, underneath the collar, there's a third zipper. Pulled it down, zipped up the coat, and the, the look on that little boy's face was enough to last me for another. And that coat meant hope to him because he came in without one. I can remember as a little boy walking through a firehouse one day as a little boy and people handed me coats, people handed me boots, people handed me gloves. I remember that. I remember being that little one looking up at all these giants handing me things. And the wonder and the just what was going on. But that spoke hope to me as a little boy. That someone would care enough to hand me something I did not have. It doesn't have to be a great evangelistic conference. Those are good. What it has to be is our willingness to go into a community and touch people. 